I'm Lemuel Gonzalez, repentant sinner, and along with Emily Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday school lesson, Without Works. In today's episode, Lemuel will recall the time that Jesus met, quote, that kind of woman in Pillars of Strength, and together we will explore what happens after we die, part two, in The More You Know. was she? She appears in only one of the Gospels, the last of them, the Gospel of John, chapter 4 in verses 4 through 42. It is not a synoptic Gospel, meaning that it does not have crossover material from the other Gospels. Jesus is going through Samaria with his disciples. He passes through a town called Sychar. And while his disciples go out to look for lunch, Jesus sat by a historic well, a well dug by the ancient patriarch Jacob hundreds of years earlier. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This is the story of the woman at the well. She is not given a name in the Gospel, but in the Eastern Orthodox tradition she is called Fotin. She is a Samaritan, which, as we learned in an earlier episode, were a separate community who had some common beliefs with the Jews. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus sounds almost impatient. He is thirsty and hungry, and he is bantering with this woman who is showing off her cultural prejudices. Her next statement is clearly a dig. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Is she flirting with him? Does this pass as banter? The Gospel of John is different from the other three Gospels in that it includes these kinds of long, reconstructed conversations. And it certainly recalls, in Jewish history, the betrothal scenes of Isaac and Moses who met their future wives at a well. The point seems to be that Jesus is upending those expectations. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. I have always liked this line. Her response to his show of supernatural abilities, she replies, gobsmacked, I can see that you are a prophet. The encounter takes more than a few turns, including Jesus revealing to her exactly who he is as the expected Messiah. Here's the interesting thing about their interaction. Jesus does not expose her. He declares his mission to her. This is a pattern in the Gospel of John. He shows who he is openly, and people choose to reject or accept him. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Here's another interesting point. The disciples, though surprised to find him talking to a woman, thought it was just something that he did. His actions were beyond questioning, and his talking to women, the way he spoke to everyone else, was just something they had come to expect. 
Former Vice President and current presidential hopeful Mike Pence said that, in order to avoid any accusations of impropriety, he does not eat alone with a woman or attend events where alcohol is served without his wife. That seems noble on one level, but it speaks to a bigger problem. Are women so distracting to him that they have to be shunned and relegated to being lovers, wives, or mothers? Doesn't the problem start with men being unable to control their thoughts and actions? Jesus didn't care. He knew that women were equal to men and completely equal in the sight of God. He knew that women should look for their own salvation, not have a man direct them or guide them through it. Compare this to St. Paul who says in 1 Corinthians 14, 33-35, As in all the congregations of the Lord's people, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Ooh, I want to punch that. <laughs> Jesus is about equality. When women can come to God on their own terms. And in this case, they can lead their husband and eventually, in this story, their whole village to salvation. That should have been the rule of the faith. Then again, there are some Christians who believe that they are holier than Christ. What do you think? I think if, the story, I read the story and what you read in it and what I read in it are so totally different. What do you read in it? If if um if someone said everyone who drinks the water this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water i give them will never thirst i presume you're telling me that you're going to poison me and i'm going to be dead <laughs> like like if a stranger mm -hmm. on the road uh -huh. said hey, i've got this water that's going to never make you, make you never thirsty again i'm like well, the only thing that that's could that could be is literal my literal death. So no, thank you. Just the way that he he puts it, I'm just like that seems like a threat. Um, also, I think it's interesting that so this is a synoptic gospel. So there's no, it's not, not a synoptic gospel. Oh, it's not a synoptic it's, gospel. Yeah. Right. It's the opposite of that. What is like what is it called when it's not not that? Just well, not it, a synoptic gospel. Is right. there a word for it? Yes, the other three are referred to as the synoptic gospels. And this kind of stands alone is Because this is so so what we're hearing is an interaction that happened when no one else was around, written by no one that was actually there. Corroborated, by no one, corroborated by nobody no, else. No, corroborated by the people. Because, again, remember, the early days of the church were, the church was not as we have it nowadays. No, there was no homily delivered or anything. There was people who lived through the experience coming up and saying, I spoke to him and he said this to me. Right. And that's what and, eventually And nobody ever embellishes or lies about conversations they had with famous people. Well, <laughs> like, I'm in, just saying. In like, this case, they are being a little bit more accurate given the, the seriousness of what they're doing. Um, you presume, as a person who believes yes, in the Bible. We have to not, we can't put everything in a, through a modern lens as well. No, uh, this isn't a modern lens. This uh -huh. is a. Knowledge of humanity lens. Okay. If I've had, I've heard people talk about like the experiences that we had, like of meeting presidents, because mm -hmm. we have both met presidents through our job. Right. And the way that you'll hear other people who were at the same level as us talk about the Clinton experience, or we met Bill Clinton and we right. met um, Jimmy Carter. Mm -hmm. 
and I don't think I no. I think you met Jimmy Carter. I oh, you 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 weren't there for that. Yeah. Um, and to hear tell, they had these long one-on-one conversations mm-hmm. with these people, which. No, they didn't. You were in yeah. the same room as them. You saw them. Maybe they shook your hand. That's it. That's all. So what I'm saying is people will embellish their stories of interacting with important or famous people mm-hmm. because that's just a thing that people do. It's not malicious necessarily. It's just a way to if you find yourself to be small and this person to be big it's a way to make yourself a little bit bigger putting okay. yourself a little bit closer to that that's all i'm saying and so i think it's an interesting story but and i like that he just talks to people although yeah. he's a he comes across a little bit as or as a little demanding like get me water from the well like get your own water like granted he didn't have a right. a scoop or whatever but like a please wouldn't go this like come on uh and i know that that's not you know they don't have those necessarily those words or they don't translate well and so you lose mm-hmm. a lot of um the sort of extra words around meaning when you're doing translation to translation to translation to translation, which is, this all has to be at least four times translated, right? At least. Uh, So you lose all the pleases and thank yous and the customary politenesses and things. I I don't know. I I, I think in terms of like Mike Pence and and that attitude Mm -hmm. towards women is, yeah, what you're saying is that the only the only thing you see women for is as a sexual vehicle for you, or as the mother of your children. Well, except if it was the mo- if if you were seeing the 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 woman mm-hmm. that you were having dinner with as the mother of your children, and and only the mother of your children, right? Then it wouldn't be a problem. But because mm-hmm. the mother of your children right. is somebody you've ne- I mean se- necessarily had se- had sexual relations right. with, or your that's own mother, the only... it's just the idea is that. And it goes to a cultural idea that is still very prevalent in the world, which is that women exist to bear children. Mm-hmm. That's the, their fulfilled destiny, is yeah. bearing children. Yeah. Um, and that if they don't bear children, they have to be helpful or useful in some other way. Yeah. What he's talking about here is he sees this woman who asks him for uh, and asks her for water. Does she's, she end up giving him water? I, that that's a completely that doesn't even we, get addressed. Doesn't, it doesn't get addressed right. in the story. So does, does he give her water? Well, he he tells her to go get her husband, which her, is her non-husband, to the man right, that her she's non-husband, with, the her, sixth her, man that she's been with, and right. <laughs> and then she he tells her um, to get, and then she goes back and gets him and brings the entire town with her, saying, "This is the guy. That's the guy that we've all been waiting for." Um, what's interesting is that when you look at the difference between what Paul did later on and saying a woman should wait. And if she doesn't understand something in church till she gets home and then ask her husband, the the notion that we still have in, in a lot of Protestant Christianity because it's uh, yeah. sola scriptura, right? It's only the scripture. There's no reliance on your own uh, rationality and there's no reliance on other sacred traditions. It doesn't make any sense because the scripture is not... The scripture itself it, it is... Le- le- it leaves more questions than answers well, like in a lot of cases. It's not... This is what I was raised to believe, right? Was that the scripture was entirely consistent, which it is not. 
and there are scholars who spend their entire lives trying to make everything fit together in puzzle pieces, like a, like a puzzle, trying to get a complete picture by putting all these little bits together, even when they don't fit. They're from two or three different separate puzzles, like we learned about hell, right? There's two or three different concepts of hell, and we don't have a single one, but they decided to go with the most punishing one and make that the doctrine of the church. In Paul's case, he's, he really believes that women shouldn't even speak in church. Jesus, however, unlike Paul, unlike Mike Pence, will sit there and just start a conversation with someone. But we have come to this really strange, we're using Christianity, we, not we, I, but my people, are using it as an excuse to create roles for women that Jesus never intended. Ah, gotcha. Yes, correct. And he obviously did not care if a person, here he's doing the exact opposite. A man is in charge of the house, according to Paul. A man has to be in charge, the, the priest of the home. He has to assert his uh, his dominance by being in control of his women and children. Which is, that's a big part of what the, and I know that you do mm. not consider Mormons Christians, but that's right. a big part of the Mormon faith. Like, that is like, yeah, like, large, like the cornerstone it's of It's a the large faith. part of the uh, fundamentalist faith as well. Okay, and I see in the, and I, maybe because, Mormons have been more sort of forthcoming in in terms of like reality TV and things mm-hmm. like that, where I can see where the 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 near deification of the of the male patriarch of a household mm-hmm. lifts men into a position of doing significant damage oh, yes. to both their families and their communities because they are told from birth that they are you know leaders and not to, and to be listened to and to be exactly. you know, and that causes and this is the damage that St. Paul caused part of it but one of the things I really want to the reason why I want to address this part of of uh, this discussion, or guide this part of the discussion, is to once again make people aware of the fact that St. Paul basically hijacks the teachings of Jesus for his own purposes. Because he said, uh, we talked about earlier, Jesus gives his position of authority over to St. Peter, but then Paul lays claim to it. Oh, it was me. Yeah. And in this case, Jesus says directly, he's speaking to a woman. Right. He tells the woman, no, you're the tool of evangelism. I'm sending you to go out to get your right, Which we know, historically, women were but, the early and church. And the reason why the early church survived was because of women. Yep. Right? So Jesus knew this, but he also is speaking directly to people who are influential with other people. So he sees this woman, and he talks to her. Now, he, as a, a rabbi, he's putting his own reputation in danger by doing this, but he doesn't care. Right. Well, and I also I would also argue that the onus isn't. I mean, I don't like Paul. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, like no, as a I'm, man, right. as a theologian, as a solicitor of funds, I don't like right. him. But I don't think he's to blame for the position that the church finds itself in, as much as the people who have determined what to put into the Bible and what not to put into the right. Bible. Because if it if Paul's nonsense, mm. literal solicitation for cash wasn't in the Bible, 
then people wouldn't be able to use it right. as, well, it's in the Bible, so I'm following it. When I see the way that, and that was really the purpose, the whole purpose for the podcast it, to start with, right. was the misrepresentation of Christianity and what people come to believe that it means as opposed to what it actually says. And to also understand the fact that it's a living thing. Christianity has changed and evolved over the last 2,000 years. And there are constantly people dragging it back to even the, 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 what they want to drag it back to is something that Jesus never represented. And I appreciate the fact that there are lots of people. You sent me um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, her recent yes. uh, statements, public statements about her own faith, saying this is not the way that this is supposed to run. And I'm glad that there are now more people who are standing up to that kind of thinking going, wait, this is not what any of this meant. This is not what Jesus said at all. And there's even secularists, people who have no faith at all, uh, or at least religious faith, who are saying, well, I read the book. This is a great guy. Why is, what is, how do we get there if we're following what he Because said? we let St. Paul right. be a big chunk. Because, right. And <laughs> because... If if you just took mm. if you just took the words in red, right, which right. is what it is usually, right? It's usually Jesus' words in red. Right. It's a pamphlet. Right? It's yes. not very much. And uh it would really destroy most of the Christian churches around the world. It would just it would cause them to recalibrate if they're going to. If not, just admit that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. But what interests me now is to see that we've gone to this, and again, using Mike Pence as an example, and that's not singling him out, right? We as can much go as ahead and is. single him out, though, because it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's an absurd yes, statement. Yes, but he stands for that belief is with a lot of people. A, a lot of people agree with him that this is the way to conduct yourself. I'll tell you briefly a story, right? Um there was a, a television program called Wife Swap years ago, right? Yeah, uh, not years ago. It's Is still, it still going, going on. on. I, yeah. I've only seen it the one time. There's a celebrity version. Yeah, it's... Mm -hmm. The idea interested me in this particular episode because they took a very liberal Christian family... And put them with a very conservative... Very conservative. Yeah. The very conservative father... The program couldn't even... Uh, the, the episode couldn't even complete its full course because... The it really makes me wonder family, why these people signed up for <laughs> for this, but go ahead. The liberal family literally had to call the police because the conservative father was following his daughters around to make sure that they weren't influenced by anybody else's ideas. He left his own family that's there with this strange woman now, and he goes over just to sort of haunt his daughters who are staying with this liberal Christian family. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. So he had he he was the one that... No, 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 no. They switch wives as they do. Right? Okay. So, so the, the 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 conservative wife went with the liberal mm -hmm. family, and the liberal wife went with the conservative family. Okay. The father of the conservative family actually left his family behind, and started just driving around, following his daughters who are now staying, or his um, excuse me, how can I put this? That's why I was confused. All right. He was following his wife. I'm sorry, it wasn't his daughters, it was his wife. Gotcha. Following his wife to make sure that she didn't accept any ideas that were going to be liberal. He left his home, you know. 
and, and leaving his kids alone with right. this liberal woman. Right. That's which and I mean, obviously they literally were like calling. We're going to call the police if you don't. We're, this is part of a television program. Well, once again, yeah, You're showing up at their house. Why would you have signed up for right. this? This is a grown person. And this yeah, grown woman yeah, should be able to make her own decisions. Yeah, nobody showed up at their door and said, right. "Hey, I'm here from ABC, and we're taking your wife." Like that's. And it was work. also he did also hover over his own daughters at first when the mom was there, or the the liberal mom was there, um, because he just did not like the ideas, and he kept shutting her down every time she tried to speak. Yeah, because she came from a household with um, her husband was a little. Difficult, maybe, mm -hmm. in that he was a, a scholar who was very self, not self-absorbed, but very absorbed with his studies. This is a, a almost a stereotype in the ministry. Right. You meet a lot of people who just, they'll start speaking to you in ancient Greek, and you're supposed to sit there and nod, and like, okay, that's nice. I have no idea what you're saying. You're not communicating anything to me, but good on you. for They're, they're Bible geeks, in other words. And that's what her husband was. But... She could get no traction with even asking simple questions of this man's daughters, and he would not. He was just furious that his wife was working with this other family that could affect and destroy his hard work. That right, he because he had basically, I'm, I have no doubt, right. groomed her from a very I young have, age. Yeah, that was the impression I got. I can't say for because certain because that's how a lot of those communities right. work. And so the that Hence notion, the courting and the. Right. Not not allowed to date outside of somebody that your father approves of and, and oh, yes. things like that, where you are groomed from babyhood up until you're 14 or whatever, and then you're shown to this 30-year-old man who then courts you until you're 18, and then you're married and impregnated immediately, and you have no chance to, I don't know, get free of this cult. <laughs> when you see the way that Jesus interacts with this woman, who obviously has lived a very full life, yeah. to say the least, um, he at no point is, again, shaming her. He identifies what she is, identifies who he is. Yeah. And so at times what almost reads like she's flirting with him, or because, again, it's, it's phrased in the Hebrew tradition Meeting in a well was like a, a, it, a well. Trope that's the almost. thing. I don't think she's flirting with him. I think we are so unused to men and women talking to each other, right? And because we and again, this is the impression that I get. Yeah, because again, it, it's set also inside the notion of this is the cute meat trope in ancient right. Hebrew literature. Was they met at a well? Um, Except all this woman wanted was some water. Jesus was there. She didn't know Jesus was going right. to be like, there. She didn't go there and he's, to see who was no, out the well no. and get checked out. Well, neither was thirsty. Isaac or neither was Sephora who winds up um, marrying Moses at a well. That. <laughs> um, but the uh, the idea is that when he speaks to her, he like he cuts off whatever expectation she has by just saying, this is who I am. And this is something that we see in the Gospels all the time, synoptic and otherwise. Jesus is constantly working with women. Remember, he dies. He's crucified. Uh -huh. One disciple, his mother is there, and uh, two of the female disciples, I'll call them. When he comes back, the people who see him first are Mary Magdalene and Mary, his mother, and other. There are women all yeah. throughout the story. And at some point. But that's also largely because it's women who are tending, who tend. To funereal rites, right? Like 
that's that's part of the reason. Mm, I'm not sure about that. I've read both. I've read descriptions that describe both a male position of authority that attends to it and a female. So okay, that's the other thing. After two thousand years, is you know yeah, what the actual rules at the time were. Right. Who knows? Right? We still don't even know what a crucifixion accurately looked like. The most of the ideas of crucifixion come from the Middle Ages. When we see Roman graffitis about crucifying, they did everything from crucifying them face to the cross, yeah, face away from the cross, upside down, the cross through hands shoot. instead right. of through wrists. Which, unless you're tied, also right, crosses won't are shaped like body axes weight, weight. At, yeah. at some points. Um, yeah. So it's it's very funny how something that we've just come to accept this is the way it is. We don't wasn't know. At all, yeah. We don't know. There um, were yeah, there were no photojournalists at the time. Right. Oh, we don't know. Which is odd that the, the most reliable thing that we have is graffiti in the cells of condemned men who are thinking about how they're going to die. It's right. like, oh well, I guess this weird crossbar, which is part of when you see crucifix in the Orthodox Church. Oh uh, yeah. Uh they have that. But anyhow, so this I think speaks to the whole reason why we established the podcast in the first place. There's Christianity and there's what's been done to it. What Jesus' attitude towards women was not just revolutionary for his time, sadly, is still an idea that isn't really recognized, that he's going to sit and talk to this woman, and then she's going to lead her family into this path without needing a man's assistance, a man's help. Approval. Right. Or approval, yeah. And it's really approval. He does, she does need a man's help in as much as Jesus was a man, because... Mm. Right. That's who he, she's following, but she doesn't need her husband to say it's okay for her to go talk to him. No. And she didn't get stoned for talking to him, which I do appreciate, because there, there are cultures where that is. certainly is or was mm-hmm. the penalty for speaking to a man out of, out of turn. Right. And and when I see this, I think about all the things that a current kind of evangelical or fundamentalist Protestant will believe. What is things that Jesus did about what uh, when they consider what's right and what's wrong um, that would exclude Jesus from their own fellowship? Do you follow my meaning? Yeah. He's talking to random women. Yeah. He's eating without washing his just weird things that uh, that they still hold on to. They're holding on to beliefs that are even older than Christ. Right. And, that and literally nobody else believes right, in, the, the even beliefs, the ones that came up with the beliefs. Right, the beliefs that he came to change, and they're holding on to those, instead of holding on to the fact that here's a man who speaks to a woman, he grants the same equality that he grants to any of the men he speaks to. Right. And he doesn't, like, within the lifetime of some of the people that were in this conversation, it had already changed to Paul's version, which is, women be quiet in the church. I mean, there's other things I didn't have you read, which are women cover your hair when you're inside of a, a church and uh, just strange things like that. Anyhow. Which, I mean, I did when I was at the Vatican. Mm-hmm. I got a head covering because it seemed like the thing to do. <laughs> and I was I was like, I'm in your house, so right. that's the thing and to do. And if you're doing it out of do respect, that. that's That was the thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I don't, and I don't think anybody was going to, Kick me out, but no. it, they they were selling them mm. like, scarves at the at the entrance, and I was like, right. "Well, yeah, I'll do that because I'm already in your house. Like, I don't. This isn't my house. This is your mm. house." Um, and I do want to go sit with that pope. So, 
Let me cover my hair. That's interesting. We should have you talk about that experience sometime. I will. I sat with the Pope. He was not decomposing. That's strange. We went to the catacombs where there was a cadre of Italian women crying around the the, the Pope mm-hmm. John, John Paul. Because he had died not, I mean, years before, right. but not that many years before. Interesting that you bring that up. Uh-oh, hi, John Paul. Because lead that leads directly to the more you know. Last time we discussed hell, a place that the broad diversity of Christianity will agree exists in one way or the other. We talked about how there is a difference of opinion on whether or not it is eternal, or even what it is, but it is a part of the faith, a theological or moral necessity, though not in the way that we'd expect. Today we're looking at an idea that comes from the Catholic Church almost exclusively, the concept of purgatory. The recent edition of the Compendium of Catechism of the Catholic Church describes purgatory this way. Purgatory is the state of those who die in God's friendship, assured of their eternal salvation, but who still have need of purification to enter into the happiness of heaven. Because of the communion of saints, the faithful who are still pilgrims on the earth are on earth are the faithful who are still pilgrims on earth are able to help the souls in purgatory by offering prayers and suffrage for them, especially the Eucharistic sacrifice. They also help them by almsgiving, indulgences, and works of penance. The idea was that some people are a part of the faith, but die unconfessed or die with some unfinished perfecting to do. Heaven allows no sin or uncleanness, so as a Christian, they go to an intermediate state, purging of the last of their earthly sins before joining the righteous in heaven. Yes? You've raised your hand. I've raised my hand. Um, this then presupposes that there are human beings on this earth uh-huh. who die in a perfect state of grace. Yes, those are saints, and they're rare. So saints are the only ones who well, go to heaven. Literally can, everyone else goes know, to purgatory. Yeah. People who die, for instance, they die confessed. They die free. They're absolved of their sins in the act of dying. And this would be people who know they're going to die. People who die suddenly generally don't. And purgatory... Also, anybody who dies without a knowledge of what that is. So, anybody who hadn't been confirmed. Right. We're talking about kids. I'm talking mm-hmm. about children and babies. Yes. They go to purgatory, And again, too? this is an exclusively, almost exclusively Catholic idea. The rest of the church, the, or, the, the rest of the high church, the Orthodox, the Anglicans, they all like, no... But it's also significant. So then enough. they believe in saints, and everyone else is going to hell. No, they because... believe that, and we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> so, where does the idea come from? The Book of Maccabees, the apocryphal book that describes the Jewish uh, heroes who wrestled with the kingdom, uh, wrestled the kingdom of Judah away from the Greek overlords during the Seleucid Empire, uh, who established their own rule from 167 to 37 BCE. Their four brothers fighting off impossible odds, their bravery in battle, their single-minded devotion to not allowing their faith and culture to be erased by Greek ideas. It's exciting reading. It's eight books in all, and the first two are canonical, according to the Catholic Church. What does that mean? So they're apocryphal, so they're not part of the Bible. Right. But they are like a historical canon. Right. So they're, they're taken as historical facts. Right. Okay. Okay. But the rest of the Church... And again, this is... A full half of the church is Catholic, which is something that Protestants don't like to think about for some reason. Yeah. Um, but 
They do when it comes time to voting. There, okay, there we go. I mean, it's not like we don't get political here. Uh, but the idea is that it's this is an idea that's persisted. And to people outside of the Christian faith, they'll talk about purgatory. Not quite sure what it means. They think it's kind of like, well, if you're not quite so bad, you're not quite so good. Because that's how it's sold to us. Right, exactly. Now, so in the book of Maccabees... Um, the second book. The second book of Maccabees. There's a story where Judah, the hammer Maccabee. Wow. Was he a luchador? No, his <laughs> name actually literally means the hammer. Is that what Judah means? Yeah. Discovers that some of his soldiers, loyal patriots, died while wearing pagan amulets and good luck charms for protection in battle. Now, he felt and guilt he about is, this. Um, a a Jew. He is a Jew and part of the four Jewish heroes who brothers stand up against the Greeks. I just want to make sure that I'm following. So he's like, ooh. Yes. So it's But let's do something to to clean that up. Like go ahead. So they offer sacrifices and prayers saying, Sorry God, these were loyal Jewish patriots, but facing human death They got scared. They got scared and they were just like I'm just going to put these good luck charms on that'll protect me. Yeah, and this is the Old Testament God whose first rule was no gods before me. Right, exactly. So that's right off the bat, you've really ruined some things. We know you also are murdering because you are in a war. That's not as important as the the And and the thing is, again, that goes down to the designation of what is murder. (laughs) It's like, because the the, the Greeks were actually Uh, just trying to eliminate their entire culture. Yeah, I Um, understand. So... It was a common idea in Judaism by that age, and it was incorporated into early Christianity. It is mentioned by St. Paul when he mentions uh, talk, praying for Onesiphorus, a member of the church who had passed on. Let's offer prayers for him and his ultimate salvation. So, And it's just like, well, if he's dead, he's either salved or right. not. But I guess, fund- like, talking about mm. what heaven is... right. Everyone who has ever died, according to the strict literal sort of translation, mm-hmm. is in a holding place. Right. Because heaven doesn't happen until the end of the world. Yeah. And we haven't reached it yet, unless we are all actively in hell right now, in which case... An argument could be made. I, I don't know. Well, no, then, no, then we are where we are. The church, outside of Catholicism, has rejected the idea of purgatory. High church doctrines and Orthodox and Anglican communities have similar ideas, namely the process of glorification. This is answering your other question, by which the soul is extended God's grace and makes that final step into sanctification. So their belief is that if you die in a state, and it's a good idea too, is that if you die in a state where you're not confessed, where you're not prepared to go, where you're taken suddenly... God extends his hand down to you, metaphorically, not literally, right. and says, you know what, I extend my forgiveness to you. Come up and join me. Right? So that's that idea is, is the Protestant idea, really. Uh, some Christian churches will accept the ideas of prayers for the dead, but not the idea of suffering for righteousness. So it's very divisive in that respect. The idea of purgatory is expressed for me, this is a personal like, in the image of uh, the anima sola. It's a figure that started in Italian Catholicism and it got popular in Latin America, where 
uh, it became a figure that spoke to oppressed and colonized people. It's a woman, and you've seen her, I'm sure, and we'll, we'll present a picture of her, who's in chains. She's in a shift, a garment. She's in chains, and she's breaking free of them, looking upwards towards heaven while she's surrounded by flames. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, the image is very evocative. And it's so evocative, really, in general, that it appeals to other, there are other religious beliefs, Spiritism and Santeria, that actually have adopted her as a saint. Um, but that speaks to the two separate ideas. The Catholic Church really believes or teaches that purgatory is like a state. It's not even a literal place. Dante, God bless him, did a lot of damage uh, to church doctrine by making ideas that the outside world accepted as doctrine that they weren't. His version of purgatory is not the actual purgatory. It's a really interesting idea, what he's developed, but it's a poet's idea of what this is, not a, a theologian or a scholar. The idea of, uh, you know, because he developed the notion of a mountain uh, in the very vast unknown that has seven planes to which people are still purging themselves from these sins and they reach upward towards heaven, which is, again, a really interesting idea, is not the way it's supposed to be laid out. So what do you think? Is the idea of suffering, further suffering after death, even for the righteous, adding to the terror of death? Is it unfair to them if they've lived a really good life and then on dying, there's a technicality that keeps you in this sort of state. Yes. And I, and I, we talked about the Mormons previously mm-hmm. in, in the, in the previous segment and, um, that the, the, I don't know a lot about the Mormon faith, but my understanding also is that, um, to get into heaven as a Mormon, mm-hmm. a man has to call your name from heaven. So men get in. Right. And then they have to call their wives and and daughters, and mothers, I guess, if if they if nobody did before, to so to allow them in. So they have like a weird mm-hmm. holding cell for women, <laughs> um, which I always found um, a, a heinous idea. But yeah, no, this I don't think this. I don't actually mind the idea of purgatory mm-hmm. as much as I mind the idea of hell. Because, once again, eternal suffering for the limited amount of damage that a person can do in a human's lifespan mm-hmm. seems wildly incongruous. This, at least, is like, hey, you didn't learn everything maybe you were supposed to learn. I kind of feel like maybe the idea of purgatory and the idea of reincarnation are almost synonymous. Mm, that's interesting. Where you didn't, you're not quite, you're right. not quite there yet. Yes. That's, so go and go around again. They start with the same, con- right. They start with the same idea. Right. And I think that what's, int- so rather right. than just having like a, a weird holding cell of learning, right. That takes place here again. Uh-huh. Um, which, and that makes more sense to me, I guess, like in a, in a cosmological sense, yeah. As you know, ha- having reincarnation be purgatory, uh, or be 
the manifestation of of a of a purgatory um system mm. where you don't have to be perfect to go to heaven, but you have to have learned a certain number of things. Like when you get to the end of high school, right. you have to be able to pass certain tests or you don't leave high school <laughs> no matter how old you are. And this feels very much like almost like a summer school or something right. like that where you got to learn a little right. bit more. But because we're talking about eternity, mm-hmm. Summer school could just be another 80 years on Earth. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Well, the, what, in Christianity, mm-hmm. putting uh, reincarnation or that notion aside for a yeah. minute, in Christianity, the idea is that, well, it follows the two basic ideas that you still get with the high and low church, which is, does God save you completely by grace or do you have to work for it? Right. And the Catholic Church falls very much on the side of you have to work for it. Right. The, the uh, Even even the other high church, right? The Anglicans but, and, yeah. and the Orthodox believe that at the last minute, God will extend you forgiveness. But the Catholic Church is the one who's going, but you, what do you do for it? And furthermore, we'll go, you know, other people can pray for you. And now it's different, I understand, because I can't I, I, speak to... That also, mm-hmm. community prayer for you. Right. Makes sense two thousand years ago. Right. I don't know that it makes sense. I think it makes now. sense now in a different way. I think the way that it makes sense is, well, again, this is speaking just for me, is that if it may not affect the person that's dead, what it does do is help the people who are alive sure. in their grieving in their process. Sure, that's fine. But if, but but as fragmented as our society can mm-hmm. be right that allows a lot of people to fall through the cracks if they don't have a community to pray yes. for them and unless you're just doing br- blanket prayers for anybody who died who on that. this date there i know there are, there are there are probably whole sects yes. of nuns who do nothing but that god bless them that's that's just it's a strange thing to devote yourself to but when you think about the amount of compassion a person has to have in their heart to spend their lives doing this for people they never met, and that's I see it a special. little bit back. I see it a little bit the other mm-hmm. way. I see a little bit if you believe that without your prayers, these people mm-hmm. are going to burn in hell for all eternity. Oh, no. yeah. That that feels a little bit like, well, aren't you a little bit self-important, Miss Mary? No, I think <laughs> that one of the things that we have to that not that we have to do. I'm not saying. <laughs> Telling it's you what fine. Do, is that you have to se- uh, I have to we as a culture maybe separate like when you talked about Jesus seeing this woman at the well and how that could be considered sinister when we're looking at a story like this we have to go what did it mean what are they trying to tell us or what did these actions mean that he's trying to express to us and that's why sometimes we'll come up with different versions of this right um, and why we'll see it in two different ways. It winds up becoming frustrating at times because I'm like so willing to accept, oh, this is this is what it says. I think that I, I'm not sure, since nobody can describe exactly what purgatory is like, I'm not sure that it's, uh, it's not something like a, a, you trying to relive your life lessons. Yeah. And it's been interpreted, when you look at secular media, this is the most popular idea to come out of the Catholic Church almost. 
Yeah, probably. Because you'll see it in... Uh, there's horror films. Jacob's Ladder is about purgatory. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole television program Lost is about purgatory. Yeah. That movie Stay with Ryan Gosling is very much about it. Yeah. Like something like it. It's the, the idea that... That, that, that experience of right yeah. before you die... Of a of an of an expansion right in in your consciousness or and that, a, an extension of just that one instant into right. however long it needs to be, and I think that that idea in itself is really moving. Reading some of the Protestant theologians that I have just in preparation for the podcast, even people like oh C.S. Lewis, for example, who's like a a devout Anglican, is just like yeah, but I like the idea. I think that's a, I wouldn't want to come to heaven dressed like I did on earth. I want to be able to shed this and take part of this glory, but I still have these things on me that I want to be rid of. And this is not because God's shaming me. It's because I'm ashamed and this is going to hold me back. And the idea that something in any way could hold you back from enjoying what happens after the bliss that we'll be discussing next time. Mm -hmm. Um, the idea that you could shed that through your own action seems to me to be just a really lovely way to go. It's not denying that the other way is also lovely. You're never going to try hard enough. God's gonna, Sorry. God's going to forgive you. But as I said, what appeals to me about that image, the anima sola, is the notion that she's breaking out of her chains, looking up, realizing, I've come to the, the acknowledgement, I've had my moment where I now know what I did wrong or what's holding me back, and I can be free now. And she breaks her own chains. She knows what's holding her back. Does she? Has she done penance for whatever that is? Or is it just a learning of, of I think that oh, I didn't that, understand this, and I do now? At that point, she it's not a matter of like penance that you're doing anymore. That's what you did while you were on Earth. At that point, it's you're, you're, it's that realization. Why aren't I able to go on further? And there's even ideas, like I said, in in uh, spiritualism, which is not the same as spiritism, but similar. Mm-hmm. The idea that, and that's another popular idea from there that that's come part of our vernacular. The idea that ghosts are people who are left behind because they have unfinished business. It's similar to that. Mm-hmm. We have unfinished business, and once we realize what we're supposed to be doing, or we resolved it we can then go on. So yeah, as an idea, I like it. I don't, I, your idea of reincarnation being similar is very interesting because I hadn't considered that. Really? Yeah, that it was, because again, reincarnation is a belief that, and we'll discuss that at some point in the future, is even mentioned in the Bible, but it's one of those ideas that despite the fact that, again, sola scriptura, for the, for the Protestant church at large, they will just pass over things where even their beloved St. Paul is mentioning praying for the dead. Oh, they won't talk about that. And there's a a reference that Jesus makes that we'll discuss maybe after we're done with hell that seems to give every indication that, wait a second, maybe people do come back. At least certain people come back. Um, And uh, we'll discuss that another time. But yes, so, so yes. Thank you. This was an interesting conversation. No problem. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you liked it, please subscribe and leave us a review and share it with a friend. We have an internet at home without com. Our show notes and links to stories we talk about can be found there. You can find us on Twitter at WithoutWorksPod. Yes, still. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Facebook 
uh, by searching for Without Works in the search bar, or you could email us at withoutworkspod at gmail.com. And once again, all of those are in handy little links at that website, withoutworkspodcast.com. So please head on over there and take a look around. I've been Amity, he's been Lemuel, and we urge you to go out and do something good. Yeah,